Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. In this episode, I was really lucky to speak to Walter Robb, the former co-CEO of Whole Foods. We talk about everything from his contrarian opinion of plant-based meats, marrying big data with retail, the importance of a whole food diet, and his vision for providing fresh food to underserved communities. And of course, we talk about the big Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods. Hi, Walter. Thank you so much for coming on today. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Good morning to everybody. Good morning. Yes, yeah, so I think, I think it's earlier where you are. are. You in California? Is that right? Yeah, it's just after seven here, seven a.m. Oh, great. Have you had breakfast yet? Uh, just, I just, I just will after we talk. All right. What, what, what are you going to have? I'm going to have steel cutouts. My, it's my go-to breakfast. It's, oh, uh, delicious. Yeah, so very good. You have With that fresh berries, fresh berries. Oh, great. And you have that every morning. Try to. It's just because it stays, in, it gets in your tummy, it stays with you for a number of hours. Really, really delicious. Fantastic. And so you notice that you can sort of stay or not get hungry after a few hours. Yeah, it's got a real sticky feeling to it. It's just, it's delicious and it, and it, uh, it kind of gives you this wonderful, uh, uh, full feeling lasts for hours. Brilliant. I think I well, actually was eating yeah. that a bit last year uh, when I was pregnant and I was oh, having yeah. it with blackberries on it, which is now the time of year for blackberries. Oh, it is, in fact. Yeah, they're start, the, black, the berries are starting to bloom right now. So Delicious. Um, that's right. Great. And, and how, else, I well, mean, how would you describe your food preferences overall? Yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I describe myself as a very careful eater, but I mean, it's not a surprise and I'm a whole food guy, right? I mean, I've been <laughs> eating so-called natural food since... Uh, since the mid '70s, and I just my preference is really for for a plant based whole foods diet. It's uh, what it, it's, and it really it just not only because I think it's traditionally it just works best for my body. I I found that uh, I digest it better, and and it gives me the type of energy I need. And so that's that's primarily how I like to roll. But I you know I try to roll so I try to roll without judgment on other people. You've got to everybody you know knows what's right for themselves, and you try to meet them where they are. But Basically, plant-centered, whole foods-based diet is um, my preference. Okay. And I think I read somewhere that you've always, even before you were working in the food industry, you've always been interested in um, ecologically sound uh, food. Is that right? Yeah, well, I mean, I think as a young person, you try to figure out what can you do that's meaningful with your life. And I just sort of found my way. In college, I started uh, reading books by Francis Morlapay and Wendell Berry and E.F. Schumacher, who was talking more from the economic side, but I just sort of got stumbled into, you know, started making my own bread and cooking my own cereal. And I wasn't so good at it at first, but I've kind of learned. And um, so it, it just seemed like at the time in the, in the 70s, it seemed like a, a way that, uh, you know, working on bringing healthier food to the world could really be uh, a meaningful path forward and a way to contribute. So this was long before Whole Foods, um, before I joined Whole Foods, but it was... Um, kind of a realization as a young man that this would be a, a great way to contribute. And, and you know, beautiful fresh food, it's fantastic, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's been, it stayed with me all my life. Yeah. I mean, how did you come to that realization? Was it you were very aware of how food was impacting how you felt? Well, it just, it, it, I, I, you know, it's many years later, so it's hard to think back and I use the same intellectual frame I'm using now. But, mm. you know, when you, when I first, made a, 
whole grain bread and I took it out and sliced it off. It did, you know, when you, when you make whole grain bread, it's not sliced, right? You have to slice it and put some fresh butter on it. And I remember tasting it, biting in and tasting the whole grains and going, oh my goodness, this is really different. You know, this is really good. So it just kind of became a journey of discovery. And, and, and as I was thinking about what to do, you know, I opened a little natural food store in 1978 and it just, uh, the world kind of unfolded, you know, as we, as we, our generation began to think about food differently and, and think about, uh, as opposed to say the, the heavily processed foods, the frozen food industry was introduced in the fifties, plus or minus. And, uh, but by the time we kind of were growing up, it was food had become, uh, you know, very, uh, mass produced sort of thing and had lost all its connection to the farm, which it was, of course, prior to World War II. So I think our generation was kind of rediscovering uh, the, the, the food, how it was grown, who was growing it, all those sorts of things, which, of course, have played out a lot over the last couple of decades um, uh, of the journey of Whole Foods. Mm, absolutely. So you were managing um, a small natural foods chain and then you uh, you knew John Mackey already for quite a while. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, actually, it, I started it. I'm actually an entrepreneur, and I started it and ran it for 10 years, and then I started the second one um, down in the Bay Area, which I sold to John in 1989, and that was store number 12 for Whole Foods. Fantastic. So would you say, you know, you'd always wanted to work in food um, from a from a child, from childhood? No, no. I mean, our, our diet at home was not like that, and I don't think there was any indication it was more... Uh, early early on, we we were a pretty typical family and and mashed potato and bangers, as you would say there in the UK. Um, I I would say more it was more during the college years when I was reading these books and listening to the people speak, and you know, and I would imagine if podcasts were around at that time, that's I think one of the things that your podcasts do is to kind of you never know who's going to listen and how it's going to affect them and how it may affect their life to hear a perspective, and uh, that was the way it was for me. Folks really got me thinking about perhaps here's um, here's an area to go where I could make a make a difference in the world. And, um, had no idea where it would lead, but my first little store was only a thousand square feet, and we only did two hundred dollars the first day. But you know, from there it grew, and um, as you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Right? Getting <laughs> <laughs> to be you know a much more mainstream at the present time. So. Yeah, fantastic. And that inspiration is very important. And something we're hoping to do with this podcast is inspire more people to come into the food tech industry. So I'd love to ask you this yeah. sort of first quite big question, um, which hopefully can frame mm-hmm. the rest of our conversation, would be, you know, if you think about what the future food system will look like in 2050, can you name, you know, two or three features that you think will be different from today? Yeah, well, I mean, the theme here is technology. We're, we're going to see... Uh, I think the technology and the humanity will be joined together. I think, uh, you know, we're going to have this combination of the two working throughout the food value chain, the food system. But imagine on farms, we'll have robots and people working side by side. And certainly in supermarkets and restaurants, the same will be the case. Um, and I think we'll also have uh, the last the last mile of data. We'll have information. The customers will have information uh, through very sophisticated technologies that will allow them to see exactly where the food was grown, how it was grown when it was picked, et cetera, and that, that will provide the customer, uh, you know, up-to-date information, real-time information on their, on the choices. But I'm going to do a, I'm also going to do a, uh, you know, I think we'll see also a much greater variety 
of, of foods from, you know, we only use uh, 12 plants and five animals for 75 or 80% of our food now. We're going to discover the full range of, of uh, amazing, you know, plant life and, uh, in, in the world and, and bring those into the food uh, system because there's so much undiscovered, you know, nutrients and values. And we're probably going to be using botanicals. So botanicals will outperform synthetics and we'll be using those widely for this food system uh, to, to, to grow food in more harmony with nature. But let me do a, let me do a final one around saying I think there's going to be movement to flavor and whether it's breeders or whether it's in the seeds or whether it's in the customer's appreciation, there's going to be a, there's going to be it's a true, true flavor coming through. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, and I'm going to make the case there's still going to be soil around because we're only now just really, really appreciating discovering the incredible complexity of biology and life that's in the soil. So um, there's a few ideas for you in the future. Brilliant. And and so thinking about um, your time at Whole Foods, I'm wondering if how some of the food trends that you saw, I mean, actually not just at Whole Foods, throughout your whole career, you know, how some of the food trends have shifted and have you seen any of those um, elements that you mentioned, you know, already starting to develop, such as, you know, the greater variety of the plants that we eat? Have, has any of that come to fruition already? Well, it's, it's certainly shown its, it's certainly shown its, um, its leaves, on the, no pun intended. So it's, it's spring and things are starting to do that. They're budding and everything. But I look, the greatest thing really was the, we uh, so we called out the natural food and, and you know and what does that mean? It doesn't really mean all that much. But uh, over the last you know forty years that I've been a grocer, we have seen the um, appreciation for for food uh, come back again. Whereas you know I think people truly we're, we're in an era now where people really love talking about food and what they're eating and where they're getting it. And you know so we have a we have a we have that. Uh, as kind of a basis, and we have organic, which has been established during, in 1990. The, and the, and the first standard was put in place by the government in 2000, and now we're looking at organic as being somewhere around a you know 60 or 70 billion dollar industry in the you know trillion dollar grocery industry. So that you know that is a major trend. Where, we're, where we are now is certainly the, the development of fresh, the appreciation for fresh food. You know um, that is remarkable, and um, and I think. The technology, from the technology perspective, it's that we're, we're going to see the future of food is going to is going to marry and meet with technology and data. You know, whether it's the AI in terms of uh, helping the growing methods or helping the, the retailer uh, get to know their customer on a personal basis and be able to respond and react. We're going to see that big data is going to be able to allow you know the connection with food and medicine and folks to be able to track you know, their diet relative to their health condition and they're going to, you know, all those things are going to, these worlds are going to kind of merge. Mm. So have we seen all these things? No, but have, are we seeing the beginnings of them? Um, you know, we're, we're, yes, we're seeing if you, if you go into uh, uh, the progressive supermarkets today, you know, you've started to see the, the fusion of digital, physical and, and everything between and the technology that's enabling that and data. And I see those things will continue to happen. Uh, towards greater, you know, accountability, transparency, and responsibility in the food system. Mm. Um, you know exactly where they go. Uh, we'll start to get to questions about, you know, how far is too far. For example, um, you know, we have lab-grown food now, whether it's um, the people working on milk and cows and tuna fish. And the question is, what what will it? This is far beyond just vertical farming or indoor farming. How is the customer going to respond to that? I mean, is it going to? Are they going to accept that? Or are they going to say? Um, I'm good with that. Are they going to want some governor standards around that? What about cloned animals? 
the products that come from there. Um, so technology is enabling a lot of new choices. The question is, how will customers respond and how will they shape the future of food? Uh, those things we don't yet know because in the end, the customer is going to have something to say about that. So what we do know for sure is that the that we're not going back. The, the era of technology, data, and food is here, evolving, and powerfully so. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the choices that we'll have to make as a human race around how that goes, um, we have some harbinger of that and as we as we watch the dialogue on big tech right now and privacy of data and those sorts of issues and, mm. and where are the governors or where are the guardrails, but we'll have similar discussions going forward um, in the next you know, 25, 30 years. Mm. I mean, I think this is a good ch- good time to get into, you know, obviously one of the biggest future food deals that's happened so far in, in Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods. Um, you know, it's really interesting that sort of marriage of a big high-tech e-commerce behemoth with, you know, an organic, small production, highly curated um, supermarket chain or, e- or grocery chain. And, you know, just hearing a bit about how did that deal come about? I mean, was that something completely out of the blue? Was Whole Foods looking to be acquired? Um, and was, you know, a tech tech company as an acquirer that, you know, didn't necessarily seem like uh, marriage made in heaven, but it makes um, a huge amount of sense, of course. Yeah. Well, it, it does, if you understand. I mean, if you if you recall our, our journey as a public company in the last year and a half, we were we were flatlined and we were we were struggling a bit with growth, and the and the Wall Street as a public company was uh, was quite critical of, of our performance. And as a result, we collectively were looking for you know a, a way forward. Uh, I think that really you know accelerated. Not to uh, bring up old history, but we had a couple of activists in the stock, and uh, that gets you know we had to make some some tough decisions. And in the end, we chose Amazon. We, we went out looking for a partner who we felt could digitize. Whole Foods faster, and I say digitize because, again, in today's world, what the customer wants is both physical and digital choices. And we were um, Amazon certainly has the technology and the data, as well as the online presence, to allow that to happen. And has the resources to do that. Their, right. their technology is really second to none, and their knowledge of, of data and, and data systems is phenomenal. So, what any good retailer today has to do is be able to provide that full set of choices, and we just had not moved fast enough on those set of choices. And so actually the partnership makes a lot of sense. They mm. got uh, they got access to a fresh fruit brand, which they had not been able to do on their own. Um, and they've got, they got access to a quality brand that had a, a good reputation. And we got access to, uh, and they got access to 85% of the population that was around our stores. So we got, you know, access to first-class technology and data, and we got the digitization skills that we needed to get our, our products online and, uh, and available to our customers in those ways through right. the, uh, the power of Prime, Prime Now. So if you think about it, it was actually a good combination from that perspective. Okay. And, you know, we're two years in, a little less than two years in, and, um, and I think we have to see, you know, joining companies, joining cultures takes time um, for yeah. that to happen. It's certainly an inevitable amount of change, but those sort of things have begun to happen where all foods is um, you know, available to, to more people in those ways. And uh, while we're no longer an independent public company, uh, we're certainly uh, still out there, you know, trying to sell the highest quality food and, and bring those choices to the marketplace. Yeah, so that's interesting. So you were already very much thinking around digitization um, 
before that point? I mean, how had you been using technology in-house? I know you had uh, your partnership with Instacart and were selling online through them. But, um, you know, I'm really intrigued that that was actually a you know, focus of yours um, in thinking about, you know, well, that partnership with Whole Foods, uh, with uh, Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, well, any any CEO, anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you're the CEO or in the, in the C-suite or those sorts of responsibilities, you can see these mega trends around technology and data and customer choice are, were clear to me five, six, seven, eight years ago and began to work on it. And yes, we did do a number of things, including realizing that we probably couldn't get into the delivery business. So we cut a deal with Instacart and helped them to grow out that business. And it, it ultimately became a you know $600 million business for us. As customers were clearly wanted those sorts of choices, right? And uh, so we we certainly did that, and we also um, worked on you know upgrading every one of our enterprise wide systems. So there's back end, front end, because uh, the platforms today have to have the ability to pivot physical or digital and everything between. And the most advanced systems, like which Alibaba's using right now or Amazon, these things are almost fully they're just fully integrated and have the ability to. They're basically put together like tinker toys where, where a customer can route travel you know, throughout the system seamlessly and be served and be recognized. And um, that, those types of systems, and we had, to, we had to kind of replace all of our enterprise systems to put ourselves in a position to begin then offering the, um, the services that the customer wanted. So I, I very much think of technology as a capability um, that, a cost, that a retailer has to be able to serve their customers the way they want to be served. And we were certainly, uh, we called it Whole Foods the extended experience. And that was our thought about taking our physical stores and giving the customer that same experience in the digital world at the places between, whether it was delivery or pickup, et cetera. And we were on our way towards doing that. It's just that the, the pace, the acceleration that was necessary to compete, um, we, we just didn't, uh, we, we, the, the joining with Amazon helped that to go much faster. You can see Alibaba with their store, Hema, in China right now is a, is a shining example of how to how to bring all those worlds together successfully. And, and you're seeing the retailers that are winning in the U.S. today. Um, they're the ones that are able to do that. The Targets of the world, the Walmarts of the world, they're, do, they're doing exactly these sorts of things. Mm. Yeah, and there's a really interesting, thinking about China, one of the interesting trends at food tech there is manless stores or you know robotic cafes um, and taking that sort of service element out of the equation, which, you know, in America, that's a very key po- portion of, I would say, food, the food industry overall. What are your thoughts about um, that? And obviously, Amazon as well has some manless stores as well. You know, how do you feel about that? Well, I, how I feel about it is I think it's part of the future. I, I think people are conjuring up, you know, things that these are going to show up tomorrow and, and run our lives. It's just not going to happen. The robotics is not there yet to do it. But it is It is there. Like uh, there's a restaurant in Boston where they flip hamburgers. Uh, there's many grocery stores now where they the robots go up and down and check out of stock and, and support the team so that they can serve the customers better. So I see a period of integration of robots and humans for the next number of years. Yes, certainly there's uh, there's many distribution centers and factories where robots are doing that sort of work. So we, we know that this is all against the backdrop of tremendous displacement of work, work in America as we know it today will be displaced by technology and robots. Technology, I'd say more so in terms of systems and, and, and platforms. That, but I, I think these robots are, um, right now in the grocery business, are providing a tremendous enhancement to productivity and, in fact, will put the role of the team member, human, 
directly on the idea of the individual on service and connection with the customer. So because we're people, I don't think that role ever goes away. Uh, we're, we want connection and we want uh, one another and we want to be places where that's happening and there's just no uh, technology substitute for that. So I, I see it much more as a, as a gain in productivity, efficiency, a tremendous capability. Um, but in the end, I hope it's married with um, our desire for greater humanity at the same time. And I hope that the businesses um, will continue to remember that and, and invest in people uh, in ways. But but there's no there's no getting around the fact we're, we're in a sea change of, of the nature of work. And, and our job is to think about how we use technology to support that. You know, I mean, I could give you an example of essentially these platforms that allow our team members to track their skills and build their education so that they can adjust and adopt in the new future. But uh, it's a, this is a very big conversation we're having, and uh, there's a few touch points for you there. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, well, it would be good to do a hot or not round now with some food trends or food tech trends, uh, one of them being robotic cafes. So I think uh, we could safely say you think those are hot. Is that right? <laughs> hot, hot, hot early. Hot, but very, if you use a baseball, uh, American baseball, very early innings. Okay, yeah. <laughs> or cricket innings. Um, okay, some other... Well, uh, <laughs> some other of course, you terms. had to get that in, didn't you? Yeah. Of course I did. <laughs> uh, some other trends for you. Fermented foods? Hot. Gluten-free? Super hot. Plant-based meat alternatives? Um, moderate. <laughs> you paused. Why is that? Is that personal? Well, you have the impossible. You have the you have Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burgers of the world, which is you know just they're gonna, you know Beyond Meat's going to go public and Impossible Burgers launched at McDonald's, so it's hot in that sense. But I personally, I'm not a fan of those. Um, they're made mostly from isolates, and I told you already, I'm a Whole Foods guy, and I think mm. they're a little bit of a, a misdirect for people at times if they want to be eat a healthier diet, eat whole foods. And um, so, but if they're helping folks to think about all those things, that's that's fine. But so hot from the sense and from some perspectives, but from my perspective, not so hot. I'm I'm going to just carry on on that topic just for a bit before we get on to the other hot or not rounds because it's interesting. When you talk about there being um, isolates, so do you think that can have a negative impact on gut health or health overall or what's the um, the challenge there? Okay, well, again, look at the ingredient deck here of, of what they're made from. And essentially, we're telling customers, if you want to not eat meat, you can eat these and these things. Um, so um, if you want to not eat meat, then don't eat meat. You know, And I, I think the growth we're seeing in um, plant-based foods, we're seeing it's, it's primarily from meat eaters and flexitarians who are saying, I just want to eat a little less meat and I want to try some different choices. So, look, I'm a fundamentally believe that eating a whole food, and it's in whole state, it's complete state, um, in the least processed manner possible, is the most health-giving to individuals, communities, the world, the environment. And so when I see processed foods, even if it's a natural processed food, I, you know, it's not my favorite thing because I, I believe that folks can eat more simply. I mean, for example, last night I had a yam, steamed greens, brown rice. It's a very beautiful plate. It's a whole food, very simply prepared, um, versus something that's highly processed, um, so I, that's my personal thing here. So I understand I'm, I may not be the way most people think, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the way forward for personal health is in much more in that direction. 
um, that's it. I, rep- I recognize that the world is looking for, for new choices and alternatives, particularly in the meat area, that have less impact from a climate perspective and, um, you know, alternatives to the traditional meat. So, it, again, you're getting my particular bias here um, on those mm. sorts of products. Mm. And then there's also the uh, environmental argument and argument... You know, a lot of the people that are eating meat alternatives perhaps are some of the people that, you know, are very um, keen on the environmental footprint of meat, but also, you know, might be part of the anti-GMO lobby. And, and then in the, same, uh, in the same context, Impossible Foods does use some genetic modification to produce the heme, which is the product that makes the, the burger bleed. And so I'm always really interested in how that same audience that is often same consumer that is uh, anti-GMO then seems to be okay with the use of genetic tools in some of these alternatives. Do you have any comments That's around right. why or how that is? Yeah, well, I mean, there. I mean, I know some of the folks involved. And I think their argument is that they're they're working on that and they're going to continue to evolve it as things become available. They'll they'll switch out, or they'll, they'll and, and that may be true. And when they do that, that'll be great. But um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. You make you raise a good point about the contradiction there. You know, the, the genetically modified thing is also one of those the technologies that's before us that's going to be um, that it, that's going to be continued to be discussed and debated over the next number of years. And in the context of the climates, we know agriculture is five or six of the top impacts on climate are from agriculture. So that's something that has to be discussed. As you know, there's certainly no total agreement on, it, on what causes climate change or what to do about it. Um, so we've got that that challenge, but. You know, it's interesting with, for example, CRISPR, the technology that other folks are, you know, using. I think, you know, you know, uh, transgenic technologies have been somewhat. Um, you know, I think the customer said, uh, the customer said that um, not that interested in those or skeptical of that. The government has said you have to label. You're gonna have to label these technologies, and we'll see what the customer says when uh, those things happen, and they have to make the set of choices from the, having the information. I don't know. I, I, I uh, again, for me, the larger issue here is not the is not the the GMO on on the uh, on that particular ingredient. My my larger issue here is that um, these things look like a bit of a head fake to me in terms of the journey towards a healthier diet. And while they're not meat, um, they're these various you know components that I think are um, fractional foods, processed foods. Right. And as yeah. I told you, I, I would rather put my time and effort and education into saying to people, um, if you would like to eat less meat or here's a, here's an alternative for you that's simpler and, and it's a whole food. And then you get the magic of whatever's in the food that you don't even know is in the ingredient deck because it's just part of the, the food as it's grown. Right. Yeah, as you said. I this don't know is, if I'm answering your question. But. No, that that's helpful. I think it's um, yeah being worked out. Uh, and as you said, this is you know a big conversation, so we could probably do a whole podcast on that issue uh, entirely. But um, moving on, carrying on with the hot or not round, um, alcohol-free drinks. We're seeing the world in general is drinking less alcohol. I don't know if that's true in the UK, pub, but if you look at the Nielsen stats, the, the, the alcohol consumption is down year over year, which is interesting. Craft beers are certainly kind of holding up a little bit, uh, new varieties of wine, but um, not enough drinks, I think, you know, okay. Meal kits? Definitely on the rise. So getting hot. Um, you know, they've, they've gone through their first iteration. A couple of companies have faded, either sold or faded, or, you know, they, they, 
rationalized, but Amazon's about ready to make a huge push on them. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, more importantly, this idea of, of, uh, of uh, meal kits being, you know, this, this idea of ready prepared meals in whatever state is, it's been super hot and I would say it's still pretty warm. Insects? Nice idea. I'm not really going anywhere. Why is that? Not a big enough market. I mean, crickets, uh, insects are a nice alternative for a protein, kind of a novelty item. And they are hitting the market in terms of food bars and those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. I just I don't think it's a very large market. And I think it's just more of a, um, it's, it's a, it's a much smaller subset of some of these larger things we're talking about. Right. And then for animal feed, that's... That's a different matter. In that sense, if that I, you would know more, mate, more about that than I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps that's a, a good a good place for it to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there are stores that are now offering the roasted and toasted crickets, and from that perspective, I think it's a pretty small market. But um, I'm not up to speed on how it's being used in animal food, so that's that's a good good thing to learn from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about moringa? I love moringa. I think it's extremely powerful, and I think there is an example of where it is being used in the animal field as an, as an uh, alternative to antibiotics. I think it's incredibly powerful. And it's part of what I said in the earlier conversation. I think you're going to see botanicals emerge here as more powerful agents mm. than synthetics, and um, moringa being a good example of that. You know, Harry Stein in Iowa is doing a fantastic job with that uh, moringa. Uh, with, the, with the animals there. So I, I think it's not well known, but I think it's very exciting. Yeah, and there's also a, a brand called Cootie Cootie Foods who are growing it in, in Africa yes. and creating bars and and uh, smoothie powders. Um, yes, I've met her before. Yeah, I've met her before, and the products are in Whole Foods and uh, right. you know, for smoothies and that. Um, but it's uh, it's not well known, but I think it's, you know, it is part of all this this larger biodiversity that'll come to the world and people appreciate what's out there and the qualities and the, that those plants. I think it's part, it's part of a it's part of a hot trend, mm. but in and of itself, probably kind of small. Yeah. Right. And then last one, drinkable meals. Uh, like what are you talking about there? Smoothies? Like a Soylent. Yeah. Soylent or a Huel. So replacement meal with a, with a powdered smoothie. Yeah. I mean, mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> not super. I mean, Plant-based foods are hot, you know. Collagen is hot right now for some reason. Plant-based foods, collagen. Yeah. CBD is on fire right now. You want hot, hot, hot? CBD, CBD. is on fire right now. Yeah. There you go. CBD cream, CBD food, CBD alcohol, CBD everything. Yeah, it's very hot. Yeah. But I mean, the fundamental trend of plant-based foods around people waking up and more of those, that is, that is really wide and deep, like the Jordan River across the food, the food system right now, whether it's uh, McDonald's or anybody else, everybody's looking at bringing these plant-based alternatives forward. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about what you're up to today. So you um, you have Stonewall Rob Advisors. You recently uh, became right. an advisor with Rise Fund. And um, as we know, you're also uh, an advisor with S2G Ventures. So these are all right. uh, investment uh, initiatives? Well, Stonewall Rob is my, um, is my little company. I started after... Uh, Foods and I do my public speaking. I, I speak to a lot of business groups around the world. Uh, that is my, you know, vehicle to do that. And also, I make the investments there for um, in companies I think represent the next generation of um, of the food system and the food, uh, uh, the whole food world. And so I've started at twelve or fourteen there. Uh, these are ones I've done on my own, uh, where I, you know, like the entrepreneur and, and 
trying to support the, that company. Uh, the two advisory roles you mentioned at STG, I'm an executive in residence there, so a more formal role where I um, actually work with, uh, they have about 40 portfolio companies. I work with about six or eight on a pretty detailed basis. Mostly, it, it isn't so much from the investment side, although there's investment, that's why I'm there, but I'm, I work more on, you know, as an, on with the, as an operator, helping their CEOs think through their strategic uh, roadmap. And at, uh, at, at the Rise Fund, which is a much larger fund, $3 billion, the check sizes are larger, I'm working as a sector advisor to help them think through uh, how they can invest in a more sustainable food system. So, and I'm, in addition to those things, I'm on five board of directors of different companies of different s- sorts and sizes. And put all that together, I have a nice new casserole of activity. <laughs> right, exactly. Too. You're a busy, busy guy. Um, so mm-hmm. what would you say some of the most exciting technologies you've seen then over the past 12 months? Yeah, well, there's so many, but um, I'm, a, I'm just I'm amazed by the capabilities of these entrepreneurs today. But I really like uh, James Rogers at Appeal Sciences, A-P-E-P-L. He's taken uh, food waste, turned it into an organic compound. It's actually recognized as grass and organic by the SBA. He applies it back to the surfaces of vegetables and then stops the oxidation and the respiration. Um, so it, thereby extending the shelf life with no detrimental effect on the nutrition of the product. So um, he's now working nationwide with Costco, Kroger, Whole Foods has signed on, and he's now working in Europe, the EU, just to prove his technology. And I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it, you know, it's the physics of applying this compound to the surface, but think about the potential. Uh, in terms of food supply for this technology, it's remarkable. So that there is the one I'm, it uh, has really, really impressed me. Um, I serve on the board now as well. And, um, so there's, there's one I really, really like. Great. And, and you have your own portfolio, is that right? I do. Can you share some of the investments that you've made? Certainly. Um, well, I made one recently in a company called Hungry, which is based in Washington, Philadelphia. And uh, what they do is essentially build the tech platform, the platform to do, uh, to, if you will, Uberize local chefs to provide uh, uh, meals for the local office market. So consider an office manager who's trying to solve for meeting supply, and they can go online this platform and they can select the chef they want. And the, the, I love the transparency. I love the quality of food, and, and the chef himself prices their meals. And Hungry essentially facilitates that and does the delivery themselves to the office. So I, I think that's a wonderful CEO, Jeff Grass there at his company. Um, that's when I, I put some money on. I, I like Mason Arnold out of Austin, Texas, the CC Vegetable Doodle Company. He has um, essentially created all the machinery. To, they essentially make vegetable noodles. So you can you know, think about making pasta out of any vegetable at all, which of course you know, brings vegetables forward. But he also figured out the machinery to turn the vegetable into kind of a little pasta shell, which is quite remarkable. Um, so creating those sorts of new choices in fresh, the fresh produce department um, for customers. I have also invested in uh, Food Maven out of um, um, Colorado. And what, they, what they're doing is bringing, they're basically working on the problem of food waste, which is, you know, we have about um, 40% of the food system in the U.S. is, is lost or wasted um, along the way. And so trying to address that at scale for the first time through a combination of old world pickup and logistics and new world AI and technology, <clears throat> creating a, creating markets for this lost lost food. So that's, that's a really interesting one there as well. And, um, I don't know how many more you want, but I think I have 12 or 14 altogether. 
Fantastic. Thinking about food waste and and various challenges that um, face the food system today, what keeps you up at night? I think what keeps me up at night more is um, the the democratization of access for fresh food. I mean, it's a a passion of my life has been, um, as you know, natural foods and and growing out a healthier food system. And what troubles me is the fact that it's not available to all people in all communities and the consequences that come from that. So at Whole Foods, of course, we built stores in four inner cities in America. There's around 6,300 communities in the United States that just don't have the access, whether it's a rural or an urban area. Sometimes it's transportation. Sometimes it's, you know, it's an economically disadvantaged area, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, everybody deserves um, a healthy, nutritious meal. Uh, the consequences of the alternative are just not good from a health perspective, you know, life expectancy perspective, from a quality of life perspective. And what really has been on my mind is how we continue to make um, the quality of food available to, you know, not just the kids that don't have it, but the families and, you know, all over. We should be able to do better than we're doing on that right now. And food waste could be a part of that because it's troubling that we waste so much when so many are, are in, uh, in need of, of a healthy, healthy food. So the, I think all those things are what keeps me up at night and yeah. um, thinking about how we can do better. Mm. I mean, one of the things that's really surprised me when I moved to the U.S. Uh, three and a half years ago was was the cost of food in the grocery store. And that could be any grocery store. And of course, Whole Foods, you know, had the, the mantra, whole, whole, food, whole paycheck. And I think Amazon is bringing some of those prices down. But overall, why is um, food so expensive here and I think you've spent some time in the UK you know you can go to Tesco's or even Waitrose at the higher end and it, and your your shop will be at least a third less for the week than it would be um, here in the US yeah well I'd, I'd argue with you on, I mean I do know the UK market extremely well and I would argue Whole Foods and Waitrose were pretty much at parity on price uh, Waitrose being on the high end of the market versus Sainsbury or Tesco's but remember when Whole Foods came to the UK we only have nine stores and really don't have any sort of scale in terms of being able to, you can't really bring your fresh food from the UK, from the US over. You have to, you have to, you want to get it at the UK and, you know, to, to buy from farmers and that sort of, you know, Waitrose has a huge number of stores and a long history there. So I think the pricing power in the UK was uh, one particular set of challenges having to do with not having too many stores. But I, I walked all those stores many times and Waitrose is fully priced for sure with excellent quality. But coming back to the US, um, I mean, and, and frankly, the Tesco's and the Sainsbury's, they beat each other up for a price. And and, um, and I think there's been some consequences to that. Um, uh, but it, it's a very, very competitive market in the UK, no question about it. And interesting that the UK market has 2x the amount of food, you know, delivery, home delivery that the US does. It just seems like the, the UK customers uh, or use that service and expect that service from grocers. But in the US, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing, this is something that's, been around as long as Whole Foods has been around, and there's this tension always between price and quality. And our role in the market at Whole Foods was to bring quality to the market. And the case we were trying to make is that, look, not all food is created equal, and the way that you produce the food matters, and that we're trying to address these things like the loss of soil. You know, for every 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 pound of food America eats uh, through a conventional food system, they're losing close to five pounds of soil. That's not a sustainable system. There's lots of externalized costs to the use of pesticides and fertilizers and community health or farmer for health or uh, even in the health of the product that's being brought to market. And 
I mean, our job at Whole Foods was to not be the cheapest grocer. Um, you know, there's plenty of other grocers that are doing that. Our job was to say, we're going to try to bring quality alternative to the market. And over time, those prices are going to come down, not down to the price of the cheapest commodity food, but over time, they will come down and be more accessible. And that's, in fact, exactly what's happened. You see that there's parity on many organic products now that only happened because, you know, more and more people started to buy them. So there's always a tension there between that and, you know, you know, as you know, our farmers are, are completely underappreciated in our system. We don't really truly appreciate the role, the work that they do in, uh, to produce our food. We're, 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 you know, we have a decline in our farmers. We decline a number of farms. We have, you know, the prices farmers have received have declined in the last four years. We've got a big concern there about how that's all going to unfold. I suppose technology is going to be a, a part of that answer. But, you know, my answer to that is like, you know, let's take, let's take, because um, I certainly heard that criticism many times. And, uh, you know, it's not that Whole Foods has, you know, way richer margins or, or net bottom line margins than the other grocer. It's just that the food that we sell costs more and it costs more to produce because we're, you know, in, in the cases of, say, salmon or we're, we're doing, we're supporting different practices on the farm. We're also paying a fair price to the farmer. And uh, those things do result at a higher sticker price at the store. You know, at the mm-hmm. same time, we did produce the 365 private label line, which is competitive with anybody at the same quality standards. But remember, that tension between price and quality will always be there. And, um, you know, if we had not done what we did, done, would, would you think the, the awareness of these sorts of issues would have been accelerated in the marketplace? I don't think so, unless somebody was out there saying, hey, these things matter. Mm-hmm. So I get the criticism. I understand that. I do say at the end that, Grocery shopping is a voluntary activity. No one has to go to any one store. And uh, there's certainly many choices for folks who who want to, um, if they want to buy a, a different product or at a lower price, they certainly have those alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, but Whole Foods' job in the marketplace was to bring quality and to stand for quality and raise the awareness about how food was being grown. And um, we were not trying to be all things to all people. Right. So, um, you know, understand that when people say that, and I always used to, if I was in the store, I'd always say, well, tell me which item in particular, and let's talk it through. And if there was a way we need to be more competitive on a like item, we should do that. You're right. But if it's a different item in terms of how the animal's been raped, this is particularly true in the fresh food or the animal protein, um, the difference in the way it's being raised, and there's a reason there, then it represents a choice. You can make it or not make it, but understand that that's really what's going on here is that all food is not created equal. It just isn't. And um, we were trying to bring a different set of choices to the marketplace. Right. And thinking about, um, you know, how retail is starting to deploy more technology um, in stores, in supply chains. But, you know, it can be quite hard for large corporates to get their heads around how to, um, you know, interact with new startups and new technologies to help bring their costs down, for example, but also, you know, improve their processes. What advice would you have uh, to some of those large retailers in how to think about that? Obviously, you were you were thinking ahead when you were thinking you wanted to digitize and, and partner with Amazon. But do you have any pieces of advice to, you know, help them with that, with that sort of jump? Well, I mean, you know, the first thing is the, you got to have the talent. You got to have the top, the top talent. And they've got to sit in the C-suite right next to you as CEO, and they've got to be part, part and parcel of the strategic outlook of you know, the, the two are just woven together: technology, data, and retail. That is part of how you're going to have to serve your customers. So, I mean, if you haven't got that by this point, you're probably already in trouble. 
Um, but I think the question will be, and, and I think having, you know, a continually willing to disrupt yourself as you go, but you need a basic roadmap. You need a basic understanding of uh, what you can invest in everything. So you've got to pick your platforms and your capabilities that you want to invest in, how you want to serve your customer and um, have a roadmap, continue to stay on that thing, continue to invest the right amount of resources in this. If you underinvest, you're going to be too slow and you'll get out flanked by other retailers. And so, you know, not wave at every shiny toy, but, you know, have the talent, the ability to understand that. Also, I would say, you know, make partnerships with other technology and data companies to accelerate your speed um, so you can go faster in serving your customers. And I think that's the successful formula we see with the retailers that are winning out there who realize this is just, this is just how, you, how you have to do it today uh, in order to be able to serve the customer. Right. Great. Okay. So just to finish off, uh, another big question for you. Um, if you had a moonshot... Oh, you haven't asked me any big questions? I know. Sorry. This another is, one. This is the uh, last no, one. No. <laughs> um, if you You're had, good. <laughs> if you had a moonshot idea for the future food system, what would it be? Yeah. Well, um, we, could, um, we could grow food on the moon and then bring it back. Now, uh, that would be local, would it? I... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I think about, you know, where I think about where I started and, you know, where we are now. And, you know, for me, again, old, you know, died in the wool retailer, you know, natural food guy. I think about the power of soul, soil and flavor and, you know, the farmers. And so moonshot idea, do I imagine a future pastoral society where farmers are elevated again in place of recognition where we're, where we're, you know, growing food for flavor and where, um, and where everybody has access to that and we have it widely available through the, through the world. Um, do I have a moonshot idea? There, there are several moonshot contests going on right now, by the way. There's a couple of money firms that have set up such moonshot and they, they pivot the topic each year to try to come up with a big idea. But It doesn't have to be feasible huh. necessarily, but what would you, what would be an ultimate yeah. goal? For me, as a retailer, I would love to see fresh food available to every community, uh, every community. So some form of that, it could be a smaller size, it could be a combination of an automated or a store. You know, there's, there's, there's folks out there that are developing these, uh, these, uh, uh staffless stores now where you can just, uh, you can tell, you can wand in and get up there and everything is deducted from your phone. But those stores aren't going to serve some of the communities that don't have the broadband or don't have the phones, right? So uh, what I want to see is fresh food available in every community in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Some form or fashion. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Um, I've really enjoyed speaking to pleasure. you today. Yeah, it's been really great and looking forward to keeping uh, in touch and, and seeing what else you do with Stonewall Rob and, and Rise Fund and S2G. Um, so thank you so much. Well, thanks very much. and Have a wonderful day. I really appreciate talking to you. You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.